Today, the mighty Countdown to 5 hype train rolls on, getting you ready for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire by going all the way back to where it all began. That's right. Today's episode is all about the original Ghostbusters, the most quotable film of all time. You with us, Justin? If there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Sean? Your mother! Ghostbusters. We are loving on one of the greatest comedy franchises of all time, working our way up to Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, uh, which opens, as of this taping, nine weeks. Ho! Nine weeks. Guess I'll have to kind of push the post a little There's bit. There's a lot we got to do. <laughs> a lot we got to do. Sorry about that, guys. But it's exciting to have it this close, because as I mentioned on the previous show, these countdowns are sometimes months away. Right. Uh, you know, months and months, or a year even. So, um, But... Paul Preston, that's me. I am from the movie guys here with you, and as promised, we are a gang of three for this podcast. Let's go around the table. We got Sean Blodgett. Sean Blodgett, Creative Motion Entertainment. You've heard the spiel. We got Justin Bowler. Justin makes me feel good. I love that you've embraced that. Join us here for a, uh, this is a quick, easy to digest six episode podcast covering all the Ghostbusters films and the new one. Speaking of the new one, Sean, what is the latest? from Ghostbusters Frozen Empire that we need to know. There is a new article in Empire Magazine. James Acaster appears in a pic for the first time as a new tech guy. Always love the technology in these movies. We're going to get into a little bit of the technology. Uh, and I I think the exciting way this film was made. So that anyway, we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, he's, uh, a, he's a British... A comedian if you don't know and you know we don't have Egon so it's probably right. not a bad idea to get somebody in there to like yeah. be the cue yeah. for the Ghostbusters I mean you need to fill in those character archetypes I think right you know so uh, the date for the release was moved from uh, March 29th to March 22nd now so get ready that's right our schedules we cleared them. We had to go nuts. That's right. We were yeah. making yeah. them, of course. In fact, we're going to go together. We're going to have a great time. Hopefully, we'll make that all work, but I would love to do that. It's going to be lots of fun. We'll Maybe to. we're going to get a theater. That might be, uh, we might be doing a fundraising thing, possibly. Right. Possibly. That yeah. would be great. Yeah, there we'll may be have... pizza. There may be free food. Wait, what? what? Yeah. I don't, oh, we're not this, budgeted for this that. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be a buffet. <laughs> Uh, it, we'll all have Justin makes me feel good t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. If, oh yeah. Actually, guys, we do need to record that properly. We <laughs> we we got to get the, the the background music. We got to record that properly for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, the first toys are out. Track and trap Ecto One with dr with drone trap. Oh, so you wanted the new tech? There it is. The toy leaks a little thing that we're going to have a drone trap. That's yeah. kind of cool. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, it's, yeah. you know, twenty twenty four. Zap and blast proton blaster. I could tell you when I do Ghostbuster parties for kids and they're all dressed up, they just love the go the the proton wand or whatever you want to call it. It's, pretty, it's like the coolest. Yeah, be I one. mean the proton packs all that. I mean that again, it's so cool. Uh, new action figures, right? Is that new action figures? Yeah, and even some I think from Extreme Ghostbusters, which we talked about the real Ghostbusters Ooh, yeah. cartoon last week. I've never seen that. I've never seen the Extreme Ghostbusters. Wait, so. what? What is? I'm sorry. What I is thought it? they were the same thing. No, that was a second. Uh, animated series that came out and it sort of took everything kind of beyond it was like super intense ah. ghosts and intense gear and intense uh, storylines got it okay um, yeah so uh, that's that's all that's going on right now I, I will say also I've seen uh, a few teaser trailers that have been released in other countries that you know oh. maybe have a couple other shots you know they're just edited differently really you know but but you know still fun and uh I still double down on this idea that I mean this movie is is definitely spookier than the original. I mean, how, I I just watched the original uh, again last night, and I was like, "There's a lot of funny." And even if in the behind the scenes stuff, it's all about the funny. It's all about the funny, not the spooky. Although, right out of the gate, lots of spooky in the original too. I, so I just rewatched it. I'll be honest; it's probably been eight, maybe ten years since I watched it, and I rewatched it two nights ago. And right off the bat, like it. It gets spooky and scary. It is a straight-up horror film beginning, but the brilliance 
of this movie is that as soon as it gets really scary, we launch in with the music. Yes. And I mean, I, it, yes, plenty of comedy, but I think there's plenty of spooky in this thing. I agree. Like and there are some scary moments. I, I agree. And and uh, I thought a lot about what you said in our last episode about having to set up. You know, we talked about setting up the stakes and having to set up that reality that there is real danger. I think they do a great job right out of the gate in the original movie with the librarian. Yeah. That that all to your point, that all feels very real and very scary. And and it's like as soon as they bring in that music, they also remind us, by the way, it's a comedy. Guys. Exactly. No, it's, so, it's yeah. a brilliant transition. Yeah. Keeps the energy up, keeps the energy high, allows us to go. Ah, ah yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a literal roller coaster. Right. Of emotion. Yeah, the comments from Reitman when they first showed it to people was they were screaming and laughing at the librarian ghost, and he's like, I think we got something. Yeah. So I mean, if like, you can do that inside of three minutes or yeah. with your movie, come on. Yeah. A great, fantastic opening. Yep. Yeah. We're talking about one of the funniest and most popular movies of all time, so I think we all know how it goes. Need we recap it? Not at length, but we do want to make sure that for those who need a refresher, here's what Ghostbusters is all about. An excerpt from. Egon Spengler's Journal, November 1st, 1984, The Gozer Incident. I was working with my fellow professors, Peter Venkman and Ray Stance at Columbia University, when we investigated an apparition at the public library. Upon arrival, we had our first encounter with an interdimensional paranormal being. It was intensely frightening, and if I'm honest, it caused a slight extraction of fecal matter into my pre-woven undergarments. Ironically, but not inconceivably, the university dean immediately dismissed the credibility of our paranormal-focused research and divorced our employment. Both of these occurrences were the primary reason for us to establish a paranormal investigation and elimination service. We soon learned of Gozer, the Gozerian, a shape-shifting god of destruction who was planning to return and destroy modern-day civilization. Simultaneously, supernatural activity rapidly increased across the city, so much so we employed and retained an additional subsidiary body in the form of Winston Zedmore. Our intended operation of stopping the arrival of Gozer was thwarted when a representative from the EPA, Walter Dickless Peck, had authorities deactivate the containment unit causing the nuclear release of acquired apparitions. After elucidating the terrifying reality of supernatural chaos across the city to the mayor, he dispatched us to deal with the impending disaster. Journeying to the top of the New York City high-rise, we encountered Gozer and his destroyer, who would take the shape of a beloved childhood corporate mascot. We vanquished the Avatar and his master, then were welcomed on the streets of New York City as heroes. Oh, and Venkman fell in love. Now, at the Countdown Show, we like to keep our listeners and viewers on their toes, so you can just listen to us blab about the movie, but I think mixing things up keeps it interesting, so I'd like to play a clip of someone else blabbing. Uh, at the movie guy, <laughs> at themovieguys.net, I did an interview with Frank Chindamo. I met Frank at a screening of Ghostbusters the last time I saw in October, but I saw it twice in October, so I think I was prepped for today, uh, such as Halloween. But um, Frank was a script AD on the original film. He was 19 when he did it, and he introduced the screening down in San Pedro that I brought the Ecto-1 to. And I asked him if he could talk at length about his career and we sat down and did that very thing so he's got a great story from the set of ghostbusters and here it is my job was you know i was kind of like the last person in the production office at night and then the first person on set in the morning and i would take the pages and i would deliver them knock on the doors of the trailer for bill murray dan Aykroyd, harold ramus and rick moranis right and so every morning i'd show up at their trailer and so Moranis would look at the pages and go, yep, yeah, that looks good. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Or I can do that. Yeah, sure. You know, very friendly guy, <laughs> real sweetheart. I once asked him, like, can I get you a cup of coffee? Oh, no, I can get it myself. Hey, no, no problem, eh? <laughs> and uh, just very, very humble guy. Uh, and then, you know, Ernie Hudson would look it over and just go, mm, yeah. Yeah, I got this. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Right. And then uh, Dan Aykroyd would do the same thing, you know. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Good. Good. This is yeah, good. Right. And uh, then Harold Ramis would look it over and Ramis would be like, yeah. Hmm, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. That's good. Oh, that's good. All right. All right okay. Good. Yeah. Right. And then I'd hand it to Bill Murray and I'd go, you know, Mr. Murray, here's your script. I'd go, what? What is this? This is terrible. 
Who wrote this shit? Get this out of here, kid. <laughs> and I would quake in my boots because I'm 19 years old, you know. And I would just quake in my boots and go like, oh, I'm really sorry, Mr. Murray. Oh, I'll get it back to you. Well, I'm just kidding with you, kid. Don't worry about it. Come here. What's your name again? And he remembered my name and he remembered everybody's name all the way through. And even when I worked with him again at SNL a couple of times, he remembered my name and he was such a such a nice guy, Bill Murray. So they all were. And it was just such a pleasure to work with them. Yeah. Murray busting your balls. Moranis being super nice. Those things track with uh, their. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of specific stuff that we offer here at Countdown. I mean, an original story from somebody that worked on it. This is not something you're going to see in a normal behind the scenes. No. This is a very unique experience. Well done. Well That's right. sold. Look, yeah. Post story. When was the last time you tuned into a podcast or watched something <laughs> on YouTube where you said, I want an AD from that film to tell me about stuff on the film? I mean, everybody does does right yeah listen you want more of people from Ghostbusters I realized yesterday I've talked to a bunch of them we had Ray Parker Jr. in the Admirals Club up in Burbank oh my god and talked to him for an hour so you can find that at the movieguys.net as well as an interview with William Bryan who was the man inside the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man suit nice and he could tell stories about that about how it cost $20,000 so you have to move very carefully <laughs> each one they made they but made they also one. burned it right they I burned mean, a bunch yeah, of them yeah yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. literally speaking burned. of Ray Parker Jr. is now a good time that we uh, talk about the controversy about the song I say let's jump right into the whole, jump right whole into it. caboodle we all know how great the song was yes. you know how well it did nominated by the way for best song at the Oscars losing out to I just called to say I love you from uh, Woman in Red uh, by, by the way, can, can I just ask you guys, when you were kids, did you buy soundtracks? Because I did, for sure. Oh, yeah. I bought this one. And yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Not only yeah. did I wear it out, but listening to the soundtrack and rewatching it, I was taken back. I was like, I had forgotten this song existed. I'd forgotten this song existed. Oh, my God. The Mike Reno song existed. Yeah. <laughs> but they Because it plays very quickly in the college sequence, just on the headphones of a guy who's taking yes. the quit in a way. Yes, it's, yeah, <laughs> so it's like for a second, he heard the, or that might have been the air supply right. song. But either way. The air supply. Air supply? Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. But uh no, I did I buy it. I still have it. You go oh. in my garage, you go in the Admirals Club, it's it's nothing but old school. So the cassette is sitting on the wall waiting That's to be awesome. listened to. Did you just let in the entire world that they know that now the Admirals Club is <laughs> just your garage? <laughs> I think we've That's said exactly. I think when the planes go by you can tell you we're can airport tell. adjacent garage. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But uh, no, so originally in this film, the producers, when they had cut it together, they're dropping in their sample songs here and there. They kept dropping in Huey Lewis's I Want a New Drug for a number of different spots throughout the film. And they really started to love this song. So they brought in Huey and they said, hey, can you give us a song that's exactly like I Want a New Drug for this new movie? And he said, no, <laughs> not interested. Wow. And he walked. So then they brought in Ray Parker Jr. And they showed him and they said, we really love this. Can you do us a favor? Can you write something like that? And Ray Parker Jr. said, of course I can. And then took the bass line, literally the bass line, and dropped it in. And that's what you get Ghostbusters with. So the do 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 is fantastic. So he did change it. So he did change it. There's there's a great mashup online. I can send out the link. We can drop it in with the article where it is just the songs back to back. And I mean, it it's fantastic. It is so close. They ended up settling. Huey Lewis instantly sued. Ray Parker Jr. I guess chalked it up to well, when you make a bunch of money and you got a hit song, everybody comes after you. They just they settled out of court for an undisclosed amount um, uh, and then they were supposed to never talk about it again and then I guess it was like in 2001 Huey Lewis brought it up in a behind the music with VH1 I, I believe where he said yeah I think I, I think he had to pay us something like 30,000 and then Ray Parker Jr. immediately sued Huey Lewis in the news <laughs> yep. for breach of for contract because yeah, exactly. he brought it up yeah. wow but wow. I mean you know they're both great songs but I mean, honestly, it it it, it is it's very well, very very close. I'll say this though too: like when you're cutting something, and you start using temp music, this is why some directors don't want to use any temp music mm -hmm. because you know you start to to fall in love with it. Yeah, and even if you're just using temp music score, I mean, for a long time uh, after Shawshank Redemption, such a beautiful beautiful score. Uh, I mean, that was used on like trailers and all kinds of yeah. things. Of course, people license that stuff. But but people use that as like temp score a lot. That and like Cider House Rules and all, you know, for dramas and things like that. And it's like, 
you start to really fall in love with this. And then you go and look, a, look for a composer and you're like, hey, can you, can you make something yeah. <laughs> like that? I mean, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah this, exactly. You know? So it's a, it's a danger, I think, when you, when you put those temp scores in. But at the same token, we all know, because we just talked about it, how impactful music is. It's impactful yeah. for transitions. It's impactful for emotional tone. It, it, it's impactful for the cinema experience. Yeah. You know? Well, let me tell you, speaking about music, Elmer Bernstein, who wrote the score, that guy was a bargain to get because yeah. he scored, uh, let's see here, The Magnificent <laughs> Seven, To Kill a Mockingbird, oh, wow. The Great Escape. What? But then in his later career, he started doing Animal House, The Blues Brothers, Stripes, and Three Amigos. So when he brought ah. that real classic film score vibe to comedies, yeah. I thought it elevated all the movies. It trading yeah. places too, and it worked perfectly for the rich snobs, you know, that he brings in yeah, yeah, yeah. orchestral type music and everything. It's so um, funny that you mentioned bringing in a classic feel to a current comedy, because it's true, if you were to take the bum ba da bum ba da ba da bum 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 ba da da bum bum from Stripes, drop that into the middle of the Magnificent Seven, and it works. Yeah. It works absolutely uh, perfectly. There's a bunch of Stripes like musical references in Ghostbusters because last night I I watched the movie for some some of it with a he, with headphones on mm -hmm. and so you know when you do that you hear things you don't normally hear when you're just sitting back and like yeah and I was like there's some music in here that feels like it was just straight up lifted <laughs> from stripes more musical plagiarism yeah. from this movie <laughs> well he plagiarized himself so yeah. it doesn't you know. Yeah, but I mean that is that's yeah. Ghostbusters, yeah. right? But that could also be uh, Bill Murray in Stripes at his yeah. lowest point yeah. you know, when a girl leaves him and he yeah. quits the cab business. Yeah, so that all works. But uh, yeah, it, Bernstein said it was the toughest score he ever created because he had to huh. combine, you know, drama and comedy, so, yeah. and keep it all fluid, and so you could follow along. That's really interesting because there are a few musical transitions maybe one in particular and i'm trying to remember where it was it's earlier in the film but there's a moment where there's like just mute like something's happening musically and then it like transitions into something like mm, i feel like we just kind of i i had a transition kind of quick there but okay yeah, I'll, I'll buy it i'll buy it and you're on the yeah right. as i recall it was also a change in instrument that, that it was like kind of the you know bernstein classic and it was like backed right up to a synthesizer yeah like I, think, I think it was something like that i just yeah. remember there's a moment where i'm like huh yeah. <laughs> and I should say apologies if it's Bernstein. I learned that about Leonard Bernstein with Maestro, that it's Bernstein. So it's Bernstein. Knew? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's uh, on me. But we said we were taking this back to 84. So let's talk about when it came out. June 7th. So a big summer movie. No surprise there. Yeah. Uh, budget was about $30 million. <laughs> Right. Remember. <laughs> but, but it made $296.5 million. Uh, 243 domestically alone. That's a that's a huge yeah. return. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know what the transition you know to, to 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 today's numbers would be, but I feel like that's. I mean, talk about a return on your investment, oh, especially yeah. for a movie that that they didn't want that they did, they couldn't get much, like they were having a hard time getting made. Exactly. So, yeah. You know. Um, also, I just want to say real quick, since you brought up 1984, um, you know, this is another one of the movies that we grew up with that we love, and. Of course, it's on our top 10 list and all that stuff, but you couldn't make this today. You couldn't make this exact same film today. There's some things in this film that today are, are, are not, they're not okay to do. Namely, right, out of, and maybe we'll cut this section, I don't know, but, but namely, right out of the gate, Bill Murray is trying to get a college girl into bed. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. In, in, I mean, in today's, uh, uh, is, she, climate? is she a college girl? Yes, she is literally a college girl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if she doesn't say I'm, she doesn't say I'm a college girl. But I mean, it's it's implied. That's what the, all the student tests usually do at his college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. So you know, he brought the other guy in and he paid him. So I thought. Yeah. That was, well, but I, 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 I do get paid for it. But I didn't I, know they were. Students. I took it that they were both students. Yes. Uh -huh. Me too. But I, but that whole sequence, I was, I was watching it. You know, with the, with the framing that we're in in society now, and I was like, wow, you, you definitely could not do this scene. Right. But I, but I also feel like. Like, you know, our our comedy, We, I mean, whatever, we, we just kind of took it for the lightheartedness that it was. You know, that's him being quirky and right. whatever. You know, but even even his interactions with, uh, Dana. with Dana, you know, there that, that definitely is not a way that things would be, I think, written now. 
Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I did. It was interesting that you bring up that scene because in watching that scene, I immediately went to look up how old is Bankman supposed to be in this? Mm -hmm. And I didn't get an answer on that, but I believe he was 32, I think, when they shot this. Right. Yeah. So I was like, okay, 32-year-old going for 19, 20. Yeah. 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 I mean, when it comes right down to it. Now, when we were, when we were kids and st- I, I I don't even I mean nobody batted an eye at any of that kind of you know comedy or any of that kind of stuff but well, of now not. view to a kill what year was that was that 84 yeah 85 64 year old Roger Moore was he really 20 <laughs> something late 20s uh Tanya Roberts I mean come on wait was he really 60 he was 64 yeah that was a late that was late more I, yeah. did, I did love that movie though <laughs> <laughs> So Ghostbusters spends seven weeks at number one. There's something else that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, the last movie yeah. to stay number one for a long time, I think, was Guardians of the Galaxy ten years ago. Or I mean, Wonka keeps jumping up, right? To keeps the top coming spot. Back. So, but maybe still four or five weeks, maybe. But this was seven. Then Purple Rain knocked it out. Then it came back to number one again, yeah. which I think Wonka did, and that was uh, that doesn't happen much either. To, to credit of the time, though, movies stayed in theaters a lot longer back then oh, yeah. than they do now. Yeah, you know. that's the th- that's the deal. I mean, Police Academy number one for five weeks, uh, Tightrope with Clint Eastwood four weeks. No one even talks about that movie. Indiana Jones and the Temple <laughs> of like, Doom. Was that, had... was that a Sylvester Stallone? Oh, no. That's <laughs> yeah. right, bro. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom only had two weeks at number one. Karate Kid. That's because that movie is scary. Yeah. Really oh, scary. Boy, here <laughs> go. go back to the countdown to five, Indiana Jones. Here's Sean crying about, about Temple scary. of Doom. Scary. Oh, Doom. Gosh. Uh, Karate Kid, for example, was the number four movie of the year, but spent no weeks at number one. What? Yeah. That's just, crazy. Just, just a sleeper, hung sleeper, around, just sleeper kept making it, money. Yeah, spent the entire year at number two. Well, and I'll say this: so we we chatted briefly about you know um, just just the idea of, of of like how long movies would be in the theater and all that stuff. But th- this is something I always keep want to, um, wanting to mention, and I mentioned it in some of our other shows. I'm going to mention it again here. If you have a home theater setup, it is still not the same as watching it in the movie theater. Literally, I don't care if you have a surround sound system. I don't care if you've got 4K Blu-ray and you've got a 4K, uh, you know, television. It is it is still not the same because you're not watching the same kind of image. You're watching a video image. You are not watching a projected motion picture image, which is different in the theater where you see a DCP being projected much like we used to have motion picture film. And that is a very different experience. I'll just say that. I agree with that. And so, you know, one of the things that I like to do to kind of make it more like the theater is I'll take some popcorn before I eat. I just spread it all over the ground, (laughs) dump it on the seat I'm going to be in. Walk around (laughs) it. Yeah, yeah. Walk around it for a little while. Yeah. Well, my neighbor's dog, come on, run around oh the seat. Set up some phones at the, in front of you. With, with, <laughs> leave just, them on. All right. I, I call them during the course so they just go on. And, and then you go, oh, what the hell? <laughs> you set your timer and it's the bathroom flushing, you know, so you can hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, listen, we were just talking about this beforehand a little bit. I mean, I think the director's intention, of course, is to over, overwhelm all your senses, and that way it's, it's the best way to tell the story. But, yeah, if you've got deliveries coming or you got to – Whatever it is you're doing at home, that's going to disrupt the flow of, of the director's intention. So, yes, I'm for the theater for everything. And just yeah. speaking of Maestro, just saw Maestro. Did we speak of that here before or beforehand as well? No. But regardless, uh, the Bernstein, music in that movie. I'll tell you that. It's what? Bernstein. Right. There you go. Oh, yeah. We did just talk about it. So uh, the music overwhelming you in that movie, the way it overwhelms Bernstein, is an effect that you may not be able to achieve at home if, or uh, certainly on your phone. So, anyway, movies in the theater. Yes, please. Yes. Uh, speaking of which, how they got you there, we talked about this a little bit. It was simple enough. Uh, coming to save the world this summer was this tagline. Here's some other ones that were out there, and it's not a bit like, here's some other one. You know, these are <laughs> for real. <laughs> the supernatural spectacular. Yeah. Catching the undead is their life. It's not a pretty job, especially the way they do it, but somebody has to too much. Wow, that's way. just exhausting. Wow, that's you can't put that terrible. on a poster. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> like, hey, guys, I got I got the best one right there. There you go. Just You've seen right some now. of the posters. They have, like, the whole damn story up there from yeah. the 80s. You know, like, John was a da-da-da. He was a da yeah. But this isn't the day he's going to. And you're like, okay, <laughs> enough already. Get to the title. Well, that's like when they used to do the, the voiceovers back in the 80s. In a world. And, yeah, I mean, but it, it was, I mean, it was just so expansive. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. But we talked about how we saw it the first time 
on the last show. Yeah. But I want to talk about some other times I saw it. I made it to the 35th anniversary Fan Fest screening. Ooh. So that was in 2019, um, which was fantastic. And they showed it down at the Palace Theater, I think it's called, mm-hmm. downtown. Is it? Uh, but Ackroyd, yeah. uh, both Reitmans, and uh, it was Ernie or William Atherton. One of them came up and talked beforehand, introduced the film. It was fantastic. Seeing it with like hardcore fans is great. And if they ever show it at the New Beverly or anywhere else in L.A., that is absolutely worth it because the hardcore fans make it tons of fun. So here's when it was released. 85, the, the next year, because... That theater was all you had. Right. 2014 for the 30th anniversary, 2019 for the 30th anniversary, and 2020. And it's still made in 2020, $605,000. What? In a re-release. In a recent <laughs> re-release. Yeah. That's so. great. Yeah. Oh, that's because during 2020, that's when you could rent a theater. It was one of the ones that was on the list of, right. you know, all the theaters are like, hey, it's COVID. Uh, yeah. Come out, rent the theater for 100 bucks. These are the movies you can choose from. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It was one of the, uh, I remember talking to my friends who had rented theaters and said, what did you rent and what did you watch? And they're like, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Grease. Uh, uh, Jurassic Park. But those kind of movies all came back yeah. in style and in fashion again to go check out. Speaking of watching this film, uh, having watched it just last night, it left me feeling just so great. It, it oh, yeah. left me feeling, it, it just, it left me feeling like I, I definitely one of my top 10 films. Uh, now I had this question though, because I loved it so much. And there's so many movies we've talked about from the, you know, like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, I mean, Star Wars, all these movies that we love, right? Here's my question. Do, do the young people, do, does, does today's generation who, who, you know, teens 20s you know maybe even a little younger i don't know but do they have movies that they love as much as we loved these movies are are there movies that are being made that are of that of this level that stay with you and i think so, and and i mean the second part is can they even do that because there's so much media coming at them i i don't know i open it to the floor um, I, I'm going to say that I think if you asked an average teenager or even someone in their early 20s, they'd say yes. But the question is, the question that I would then follow it up with is, why is that movie so important to you? Is it just because it was there? Like Twilight, I have a niece and it's just like she was in 100% for all of the Twilights. Are any of the Twilights good cinema? You know, I... I, I uh, yeah, I'm I mean, I don't say know. No. Yeah. So just because it was a thing while they were there... Now, for me, I look at this movie, and this movie... Sorry, fired. we just lost all the Twilight followers. Right, we, <laughs> <damn> it. <laughs> this <laughs> countdown to Twilight is going to be our next one that we follow up That, that one follower is like, well, screw I, these guys. We, <laughs> we need to do a... If there's another Twilight movie, we need to do countdown. Oh, not, yes, I, I would love them. that. I would love it. I would love it. I would love it. Give me an excuse to see him. Right. Yeah. But what I was going to say is this movie is important to me. One, not only was it a thing from my childhood and did I watch it over and over again, Mm -hmm. but two, it is also it fires on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. So it's not just something that I was at the right age for. It's also an incredible movie. It was top-notch writing. It was top-notch casting across the board. The music, everything about this. If there is one complaint about this movie, it's not even a complaint. It's just those special effects really look dated. Mm. You oh, know, I would say that. Like, oh. I, that really occurred to me while I was watching it. They well, really looked dated. Best some they could do. Some of them. Yeah. Best they could do at the time. But it was just like, e- even things like, I, as I'm watching it, Dana's apartment, every time you look out the window, it, I mean, it's the equivalent of David Letterman's background. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, it really is. Yeah. Except maybe the lights don't even go on and off like David Letterman's background right, did. Right, Um. So... My my immediate follow-up would be, what great movie also dropped into that category for someone who's in their 20s right now? Mm. That not only they were at the right time, but was also a really great film. Yeah. I, I don't and, know the answer to that. And to follow that up even, and, and I, want, I want to hear what you have to say too, but uh, what original idea right. movie? Because so many of the movies that are that are being made now are being made by, by people in, in our age range who grew up with these movies that are referencing these movies in yeah. some way. Go ahead. You, you've got Well, I mean, I think you were describing Raiders of a Lost Ark up until the complaint. I mean, everything, firing all cylinders, great score, great acting, yeah. great casting, da 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 So, I mean, that was something about those movies back then. Yeah. Back to the Future. It's yeah. perfect. Mm-hmm. I give movie, movie location tours, LAFilmLocationTour.com, and uh, people want to see Back to the Future. They, wanna see, they still want to see Karate Kid, and they want right. to see all yeah. these E.T. They want to see all these movies from back in the day. I just, yeah, they just don't make them like they used to. Maybe some of them are more timeless. 
Yeah. yeah. I think kids growing up on Marvel, though, are going to totally take the MCU as their their baby. Uh, you know what? But I'll it's look- tougher because there's so many. There's so many. It that's, can't that, be as that's, perfect. That's my, my sort of, I don't want to say complaint because, you know, they did a good job with all that. But but there is a challenge with the amount of content and media that that this generation has to sort of sort through right. and that it's constantly happening. I think there's something about the the experience that we we were lucky enough to have. I mean, we really were in this incredible heyday of a shift in technology, right? Where, you know, I, of course, I remember beta, right? And being right. in the in the uh, the rental place. But then, of course, VHS came in and took it over. But the reason I bring any of that up is because, of course, we had to wait. Yes. We had to wait a, 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 an inordinate amount of time to get to see something at home, that, you know, on, yeah. on our VCR, right? But then when we got it, it was like, I'm, I'm watching that all weekend. Oh yeah, I'm watching. I'm, I'm, my buddy's coming over. I'm gonna watch this every day. Times. We used to plan. We're gonna watch this at least three times this weekend. Like you know, why? Because I mean? we spent seventy five dollars for the VHS. <laughs> <laughs> also, and it's good. We also had to wait three years after it That's left the right. theater. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. but I think they don't get the opportunity to sit with it. You know, yeah, to, yeah. to sit with it, thing. and yeah, it's just it's right on to the next thing. And I know that's you know the movement and all that stuff, technology, and that's great. But but man, I I miss. Just getting to enjoy it and, you know, watching it last night, there were so many little moments that stood out to me that, that were just like, oh, this is nice. I don't, I don't really remember. Even like because I was listening in the headphones, like there were a couple like times they even swore. And I was like, I don't even remember them swearing at all yeah. in this movie. <laughs> and a lot of comedies now are relegated to streaming as well. So right. the group experience you would have of a lot of people watching it, you don't. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. Very That's true. a shame. Yeah. Uh, so what was missing? Well, there were cutscenes, an asylum haunted by celebrities. Now this brought me back to the L.A. Ghostbusters story from the late great Stephen Lewis of the movie guys, who said that's where the franchise should have gone out of New York. And like I said, in Afterlife, they finally did. Yeah. But an asylum haunted by celebrities would have been a lot of fun. An illegal ghost storage facility in a New Jersey gas station. Cut. Another original idea. They had a boss. But they felt it was stronger for them to be on their own and develop their own technology yeah. and supposed to being sent out on something. And the Marshmallow Man was supposed to show up 20 minutes into the film. Reitman was concerned because they, because as he said, the realism you had going, which, you know, yeah. Right. It was, but it wasn't. But also that's a stretch. Like that's a finale, I think. It, yeah. And, and it, you have to, <laughs> you have to take me, in order to push my belief that far, you have to take me on a journey first. You got to right. earn more. Twenty yeah. minutes would have been would have been too early. I'm not saying the movie wouldn't have been great because obviously they made great decisions at every at every turn. But it's just like by the time you do see the stay, like you don't even think twice. You know, right. instead you're laughing and like, oh the, my god. But perhaps also, the funniest line in the movie too. Yeah. But also, again, to your point, you brought up earlier, they've already established the stakes at hand. Yeah. Because Zool is. Is terrifying, right? Right. I mean, I mean that Gozer. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I apologize. Gozer. Zool's terrifying too. Right. Zool's terrifying too. But but Gozer is terrifying. Yeah. And and the whole flipping over and like landing on the other side and all that stuff. I mean, you're like, this is this is incredible. Yeah. Right. I also, it was interesting in rewatching this movie. I had totally forgotten this, or if I ever knew it to begin with, was Rick Moranis when he's explaining to Egon said he once came as this he once came as this he once came as this and literally you know laying out that yeah he comes in these different forms why because at one point Gozer's gonna say what form do you want me you know do you want the destroyer to take oh my gosh yeah they set that up there yeah I didn't even realize absolutely set up oh my gosh look at that revelations can we also just take a moment to talk about the absolute brilliance of Rick Moranis yeah I mean, we know everyone else in the film is so good. And we know he's great. But in watching this, every single frame he is in, he is just so 150% committed to this character, to the joke, to to the realism of his circumstances. Just start to finish. So great. Almost wasn't him. Of course, you may know. What? Uh, John Candy was originally offered the part. I did not know that. He had this idea to be German. He had these German shepherds. It was a whole big thing. And eventually he said, nah. Uh, after he got into it further, and he's like, nah, I don't want to do it. So Moranis read it in an hour later and said, I'm in. 
And wow. so that's certainly a different uh, They did take. push him uh, in terms of like as as one of the group of great comedy people because I went back and watched some of these older behind the scenes that were released during that time. And, and I mean, he was in the group with the guys in terms of like, you know, Second City guy and yeah. all this stuff. And and I agree. I mean, he is absolutely brilliant. And like every time just getting locked out of his apartment. It, it is a like, brilliant. I mean, and, and this wasn't the, is the second time when that when uh, when maybe Venk walking by or somebody's walking by and he gets locked out and he kind of just does this thing right. where he kind of stands there like I'm going to try to make this look like I'm not locked out but I am locked out. I think that's actually the third time it happens and it's, it, it's like he never actually says it until later. Yes. Like it, it just keeps happening kind of in the back. Yes. A, a brilliant moment. You yes. Know, which I assume is probably just all him. I, I, I doubt that was written into the script. Yeah. yeah. No you talk yeah. about the improv going on on set. Bill Murray ad-libbed so many lines. Uh Egon a few as well but uh yeah the the entire party monologues about he's a tax guy and he's yeah that's all improvised making up ma yeah. oh you know he saying <laughs> oh, he's he a just, doctor and uh, oh he made that up that's <laughs> awesome yeah, yeah. oh my gosh because i'm listening once again as i was listening to i was like this is just brilliant like he's just so 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 good yeah wow. and his my, his line might be the one i quote most I, every day i probably quote uh we're gonna need a sample of your brain tissue uh, no, okay, but no, later he says, oh, this was quite an experience for you. I know. I say I know all the time. Like, I don't know why that's the line I quote all the time, but every time I feel like my fiancé tells me something, I go, I know. I know. <laughs> um, so other stuff cut, of course, we all may know that Zedamore was originally supposed to be Eddie Murphy. Uh, the original plan was Aykroyd, John Belushi, Eddie Murphy. Um, then, because, you know, Aykroyd just worked with Murphy in Trading Places, Belushi then dies, so they have to rethink the whole thing. Um, but by the time they bring in Ernie Hudson, the script was Zedemore was an Air Force demolitions expert with an elaborate backstory. So hmm. Hudson's like, yes, he gets uh, a couple days before shooting and it's reduced to what he has in the uh, film. He's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? A little though, frustrating for him. He was but, so great. Everybody loves him. Yeah. I mean, he's, oh, yeah. you know, it, 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 there, in terms of a supportive character, yeah. it added such weight. Yeah. And realism. Yeah, it we added weight and realism and depth in in a moment where it started to get maybe even I don't want to say stale, but 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 by this point we've already been with this story for a little bit, right? And we're like, okay, now they're now their business is successful. We're seeing them fight ghosts. They're exhausted. All this stuff, and we're kind of along that journey with them, right? And then this guy comes in and he infuses such great energy, and he's and he's so good at just being honest, right? Yeah. Well, what's important? One, the the role that he essentially ends up playing is now he is the audience in with these he's guys. Us. Yeah. You know, he's he is us. us. Absolutely. He is, and is bringing us all back to reality. He's the one who questions things like, I, you know, wait, what? Tell me about the Twinkie. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Or do you think that maybe that this is because of God? You know, that type of thing. Right. That he's bringing in the questions that we're, why is all this happening? He allows to be the weight. He's, he's essentially the, if all the zaniness you know, if we've got the brain, if we've got the heart, if we've got the skeleton, he's the cartilage that's holding stuff together mm. because it's getting crazy. It's getting crazy. It's getting crazy. He comes in and he's grounded and he's like, why is this happening? You know, let's bring this back down to a real level. It's it's a very important role and brilliance of bringing him in. Although I do go back to Ackroyd Belushi and Eddie Murphy. I feel like that would have been too much. I agree. You know, I agree. I, uh, Belushi and 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 Murphy together like on the same thing I just yeah I also uh, uh, yeah it would have been nuts like, yeah it too much been... awesome or just too much <laughs> no, uh, I I'll too tell much you to this <laughs> no well I think it's more than that I I think um you know Eddie Murphy to me is is like a huge superstar in yeah. many ways you know he he has such a big personality yes. he's he's so and he is absolutely laser perfect brilliant like he's honest oh, he's yeah. truthful he's funny he knows how to set it up and deliver it the whole nine but i don't know that he necessarily needs other people at his same fame level i guess i want right. to say i think he does do better when he when when he gets to be the star right and everybody around him supports the journey well i, I, I mean I even, just, even with trading places it's like you know that We've just got two different types of comedy that are going on here. Yes. Dan Aykroyd and, yeah. and Eddie Murphy. Whereas I look at John Belushi and it's just like, wow, that you know, that, that just would have seemed like you got two giant <laughs> personalities and Aykroyd in the middle. Also, that was an early. I mean, Traded Places was was earlier. 
So yeah. I mean, that was before. I think that was that was before. It was eighty three. Yeah, yeah, that was before uh, Beverly Hills Cop and stuff like that. Yep. Right. So, yeah. In fact, so, Eddie Murphy came along and showed they may have made the right choice because well, we talked about Ghostbusters was number one comedy ever for six months, and then <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop comes along, and I said uh, that Ghostbusters was number one for seven weeks. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop was number one for thirteen. Oh, was wow. it really? So he was super established. So. That's that's Sorry. crazy considering it's uh, Beverly Hills Cop is R rated. So you've got R rated taking wow. the spot for thirteen weeks over a, a family film, essentially. I mean, but that's back when you know you your parent could just walk up. And, <laughs> yeah, he's got one for Beverly Hills Cop. This All right, true. I'll pick you up in two hours. Yeah, you, we'll see you later. You know, there's blood, death, and boobies in this. Yeah, yeah. he'll be fine. He's fine. You know, <laughs> he's got to learn about it sometime. Here. You're aware that the, the title of the movie you're seeing is Blood, Death, and Boobies. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I want to make that film now. I want to make that film <laughs> twice. Pretty sure it's been made. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, uh, okay, you got more more cut scenes because I have one as well. Uh, go ahead. Oh, so uh, in my research, I found uh, a few cut scenes that they had cut together. One of them was, it was obviously a scene that was happening while uh, the Rick Moranis character is running through the uh, uh, the park. From the uh, what is it Zool yeah or whatever yeah. you know running running through the park that would have been the other dog whatever that whatever the other dog is <laughs> Zool's terror dog brother um anyway so Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray yes. are literally playing homeless people yep and they're walking. Through, and it's very obvious they're just ad libbing. They, oh, they're yeah. they're just ad libbing. Bill Murray is clearly playing. Uh, what's the character from Caddyshack? From Caddyshack. Yeah, completely. he's clearly playing yep. that guy again. Dan Aykroyd is playing some guy with some crazy <laughs> voice, and they're just ad libbing. And it's 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 oh it's okay it's yeah, fine. Yeah. And you, oh, but I, you can also see like you have to cut this because it's clearly them. <laughs> you feel all excited when you see, oh, I'm going to get to see some deleted scenes. And then most of the time, I just see why they were deleted. Exactly. Yes, They're not right. that exciting right. in the long yep. run, most of the time. Yep. Uh, but of course, we know this whole thing started because of Aykroyd's fascination with spirituality. Uh, his whole family had. His dad wrote a book called A History of Ghosts, um, and he wanted to take the old ghost concept comedy, like Hold That Ghost with Abbott and Costello and, and Bob Hope's the ghost breakers and update it because he felt there's something that hasn't been done in a while we're going to update it and i love this stuff and let's get to it but of course his concept involved like time travel and going into outer space and all this stuff and probably would have had a 200 million dollar budget uh so ramus came in to restructure it and give us the uh, story we have now also when reitman came aboard and this is cool because i just went there last week arts delicatessen in studio city do yourself a favor and go in there and go to the back corner booth that's where they sat down and shaped this whole thing into oh, the wow. movie we have today. Oh. so uh and it's a oh. great place to eat as well um they pitched it to columbia reitman made up a budget because he was on the spot he's like ah he pitched three times stripes you figure that's that'll work and they uh <laughs> stripes only cost 10 million uh, I guess so, yeah. I mean, well, there's, the original there's no Star effects. Wars was only 20, right? I think the original Star Wars was only 20 Something million. Something like that, yeah, yeah. and they, they wouldn't green light that. Yeah. But um, 13 months to complete the film with no finished script, effects studio, or film filming start date. So off they went. You yeah. know, and I love these stories. Yeah. We're doing the Ford Fiesta, which is at themovieguys.net, all about Harrison Ford movies. You see the struggle in the 70s with a, <laughs> with. <laughs> Basically, Lucas and Coppola uh, against the, and Spielberg against the world. Nobody wanted to make anything they wanted to make, and it continues into the 80s where yeah. they just said this. The, the head of uh, Columbia said, it's not going to happen. I don't see this. this they gave him the money, but it's like, I'm going to take 1% of the film's profits. Wow. Um, so... Yeah, also, and they were uh, never they were never paid, of course, anything because of Hollywood right. uh, budget inflation and, and accounting, fancy accounting <clears throat> yeah, tricks. Fancy, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, interestingly, also the the special effects team. I mean, basically, these were the folks that were doing every big movie. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Indiana Jones and Star Wars, and I mean, the, these were the guys. So, I mean, that's why the effects themselves, I think, for the day especially, look so great. And yeah, can we talk about effects real quick? Sure. So. One of the things I, I was chatting with my son about it last night because you know when we when we think about making movies now, there's so much of it that's in a digital space, that's in a computer space, right? We're looking at you know a, a camera, it's got a monitor, it's got a this, you know, it's not the mechanical 
uh, physical work that it was. You know, back in the day, back when this was made, you know, editing was a physical activity. You had yeah. to go and uh, I just watched a whole interview with Ben Burton. He was talking about this, the old uh, original Lucasfilm area and stuff. You know, like you had to go and physically get the film can and look at it and they're like, oh, this isn't the print I want. And then you got to go put it back and, you know, get the one you want. Like, you know, a, a bin was literally a bin with, you know, your film strips in it and all this stuff. But it's the same kind of physical thing with special effects they had to build physically you know uh small miniatures of buildings they had to um yeah. even when they're doing what's called you know when they're doing a composite right now we think of compositing you're like oh after effects and you put it in and just put some buttons pull hey i can i rotoscope the whole thing in 15 minutes you know i mean it's so weird because every time i've sat with you when you're editing you go into that I voice do that i'm like okay let me do this all right here we go uh, but but it's 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 interesting to think about that like there was a matte painter and it was actually yeah. painting oh yeah right which I didn't even I didn't even realize like that something was always up with some of those shots and I never <laughs> knew what it was until I watched the behind the scenes like oh yeah the cars aren't moving at all because it's a painting right it's a painting right? that was Dana's apartment yeah right. Dana's yeah. apartment because I visited it, it in New York and it's right there amongst all the other buildings but right. in the shots it's looming high above Central Park. Right. It's because yeah. they did all the fancy effects like that. And for those of you who don't know, um, you know, when they did those kind of effects, they, you know, they do the matte painting, then they have to film the practical thing on the set of them walking into the apartment, right? And they have to composite these two shots together. Well, how do they do that? They use this huge optical printer where they take both pieces of film and they run it through this printer that marries the two pieces of film together. And then you have your new piece of film that now has the composited shot together. Mm. And, but I mean, again, Again, this is a physical yeah. uh, uh, process that is happening to create these images. And I, I, I think people, like we watch these movies as kids and we're just like, oh yeah, it's great. You know, But like people take it for granted now because they can do so much in you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, yeah. especially now when you talk about like things like Blender and Unreal Engine and creating worlds and all this stuff. And you're like, holy crap. I mean, you can film something in a small area against a green screen and suddenly you're in another world. You know, back then it was this, it, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot to do. And it took a, a lot of craftspeople to accomplish it. So, and it's a huge accomplishment on this movie. Well, to the point where, okay, so 2019 Ghostbuster Fan Fest on the Sony lot, I went down to see that and there were a lot of photo ops with some of the big names, Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman. And you, you but you know, you got to pay a lot. You pay oh, yeah. you, 200 bucks, a bit to get in. Bucks. I mean, you pay to get in, then you got to pay to do the photos. I was like, eh, I'm going to go to this panel with Richard Edlund. Okay. So Richard Edlund, one of the greatest uh, ever to do special effects. And he worked on Ghostbusters. He did beforehand uh, what Star Wars, Poltergeist, Raiders, you know, little things. So, <laughs> um, but what I didn't know was that he, and it wasn't full. I'm like, what? This is like legend. I was in yeah. the front row, like talk for an hour, two hours, please. And uh, what, I didn't know until I did some research for this particular show was that even though the budget was small, $30 million, he used part of it to create Boss Film Studios. So he actually now is starting his own production studio to work on these effects. They stayed in business through 1997, and then the business became too competitive and they shut it down. But they provided effects for 2010, Fright Night, Big Trouble in Little China. In fact, the original design for the library ghost appears in Fright Night before they switched ah, it So nice. a couple attempts to get there, one of the early attempts, they moved it into a different film. Big Trouble in Little China always needed a sequel. God, I loved yeah, that movie when yeah. I was a kid. Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, Twins, Batman Returns, True Lies, Air Force One. I mean, these guys just yeah, killed yeah, it yeah, for yeah, the yeah. decade and a half that they were in it. They were nominated for five Oscars and given a special scientific and engineering award for the from the Academy in 1987 for, and you can tell everybody what this is because you may know, I don't. They created the Zoom Aerial 65 millimeter optical printer. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that one in particular, but I'm assuming it was a a more advanced uh, optical printer. Uh, would be my guess. Well, I could have said that. Yeah. Tell the folks what an optical printer is. So basically, what it does is it. <laughs> no. Oh, is it that thing? Okay. It's got it's, lots yeah, of no. eyes. Yeah, it's okay. literally and it's that. the printer. Um, <laughs> this one, the eyes can go in and out. <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought it was cool that for even on a small budget and for a guy so legendary that this film launched to him creating a whole studio that yeah. ended up being uh, you know a, a, a huge force in the studio for a decade and a half. That's awesome. So switching from visual effects to tech, all the stuff that you can physically see on screen that is physically there. Uh, there's a name that doesn't get mentioned much. We you know, I mentioned Richard Edlund. He's a visual effects legend. Stephen Dane is the guy who created a lot of the Ghostbuster gear and the Ecto-1. The proton packs were apparently 30 pounds and still are. Ouch. Yeah, so that's why it's... I don't think they loved it. 
<laughs> I don't think they lie. And by they, I mean I think I mean Bill Murray from according to stories by Ivan Reitman. Um, but uh, yeah, the original look of the Ecto One was black with neon lights. But they shot so many scenes at night, they had to change up the to make it white. I'm so glad they went with the ambulance look. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it a hearse? It's a hearse, but the colors are more like an ambulance, oh, right? Gotcha. Like a, gotcha. you know, yeah. white with the sirens and stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But it could also in the original script like the original script was supposed to be this wacky interdimensional thing with outer space and stuff it could de- dematerialize it could travel interdimensionally oh, and all wow. that sort of stuff so they, they, they toned all that thank down. god it's <laughs> thank new god. york it's a car right. yeah like, yeah and so that i think they did that. a good job of you know making us believe the world they created yeah. i mean because even by the time you get to the stay puff marshmallow man which yeah. is which is pretty unbelievable you're you're also believing I'm watching a comedy, and yeah. so I'm okay with this. Well, one hundred percent. Once again, I'm just like you establish your rules. Okay, we're following yeah. our rules, and then if you're going to push me a little bit, you're pushing me with a smile because yeah. I laughed so much, and I don't remember laughing at this before. When you see the smile before he starts terrorizing, he's just coming down the street as he's smashing things, and there's it's like a <laughs> baby smiling so much yes. joy yes. as yes. he's coming down and just <laughs> destroying things it's like it's hilarious cuz this joyous little giant marshmallow baby is killing everything <laughs> well and what's interesting too originally I guess it was supposed to come from, I think, the East River. Like, it was supposed to come up out of the water and stuff. And the special effects guys were like, first of all, like, it's a marshmallow coming out of water. (laughs) I don't think that makes sense. And secondly, to, to, to their credit, they're like, basically, like, less is more. Yeah. We need to see this less, which is why they even talk about those first shots where, you know, the the camera is looking through a couple of buildings. Yes. And you just kind of see it pass, and you're like, is what that, is that? Is that a marshmallow in a hat? <laughs> well, what, what, I remember what, like, thinking as a kid, man or I thought it was the Pillsbury Doughboy. Oh, That's yes. I thought it, it was. It is yes, a mix yes. between him and the Michelin Man, according to concepts they came up with of how they wanted him to look. And that very much accomplished there. Yeah, 100%. Right. Yeah. So we mentioned Elmer Bernstein or Bernstein. Sorry. But uh, other bargains. Laszlo Kovacs as the director of photography. Dude shot Easy Rider, Shampoo, Paper Moon, Five five Easy Pieces. They get him on Ghostbusters. And same with Theoni V. Aldridge, who was the costume designer for Um, The Great Gatsby. Can we pause before we go into – I just want to say about the DP. Yeah. uh, That actually did strike me uh, watching it again. How – well shot this movie is yeah the coverage is great the movement of the camera is great mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about this with raiders i think as well it's nice to see intentional shooting now with digital i think a lot of movies and television shows and streaming and whatever they they really have doubled down on this idea of like well let's just shoot all the coverage let's just shoot everything yeah and then it becomes about the editor putting it together yeah but but there's, don't do that to the editor for the love of god it's a lot Let, right don't it's, lean on him so much. exactly it, it, have you ever heard their voice <laughs> those guys don't make them talk it's bad for their vocals it's really true um but but the idea that like you know the camera moves and then you know it's there's a moment here and then and then they they dolly back and they pan or whatever it yeah. is you know and it's like this is all one shot one taken again thinking about the physical work of making films in those days where if you know you've got this reel that's on the camera and it's coming through and they're shooting and then suddenly you know you you get so long on this take and it's like all right we got to change the film reel and we got to get this out and make sure that you know, I mean yeah. this was physical labor you yeah. know to do this kind of stuff and it was just very very different but but uh i i love that so anyway i had to i had to point that no, out the 55 yeah. uh, central park west rooftop set was built in burbank studios so mm-hmm. obviously at the exterior and all that was in new york but uh then they had a 360 degree cyclorama painting surrounding it one of the largest sets ever to the point where when they were filming no other shoot could be happening they drained so much electricity wow kind of like we had before here i don't know we had a little (laughs) bit of that before here but yeah so nothing everyone else had to kind of shut down and let them use all the power that the burbank studios had to offer yeah uh burbank studio's still there and i never knew that's where they uh filmed it used to be all taken over by like nbc but then they all moved out so now it's like where iheart radio theater oh yeah 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 so where the the, um yeah yeah, where the tonight show used to be from right over on bob hope drive theoni aldridge uh the costume designer for the great gatsby like which is like such legendary costuming for such an era you know recreating like what was that like 
the 20s. Mm-hmm. Come in for Ghostbusters, sure, you know, and then creates these <laughs> iconic jumpsuits, you know, and so she did Network and she did the Rose and Annie. So again, yeah, I think these are just like established people doing great things. They somehow got to work on a comedy and I think it elevated the production on their two aspects of it for sure and I think across the board. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and as far as casting goes, here are your, I love this stuff, here are your other possible Venkmans. Michael Keaton, Chevy Chase, Tom Hanks, Robin Williams, Wait, 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 wait. Let's let's unpack these Uh, a little bit. Wait, there's only two more. Steve Gutenberg and Richard Pryor. Okay. First of all... As Venkman. Yes. First of all, Michael Keaton. Great. I think he would have been great. He He would have been been great in every single one of those roles because he's he's that good. Uh, He was considered for Spengler as well. Chevy Chase also would have been great. Chevy Chase would have... Yep. He would have fit into that role. Yeah, he could have flirted with Dana. I think Tom Hanks at that time would have fit the bill for sure. Uh, but I see. In if I'm recasting it, I, I I I pull Dan Aykroyd out and I drop Tom Hanks into that role. Yes, it's too much. Yes. more. it's the yes. it's the boyish wonder. Yeah, everything is awesome. Yeah. Oh my God, have you guys seen this fire pole? Yeah. We should sleep here. It's tonight. big. It's big, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is. It's well, big. if you want, uh, if you think there's too much with Belushi and Murphy, then you don't want Robin Williams in this movie at all. Then, right? Because well, there's just I, be too I, much chaos. I, I, Robin Williams, John Belushi, and Eddie Murphy. That's the movie I want to see. <laughs> there isn't a camera that's big enough that could have taken the three of them. They've been working on that <laughs> upstairs. In heaven. That's right. That's right. I mean, Robin Williams just would have been, I mean, I love him, and I think he's brilliant. You know, he would have been just way too much. He <laughs> yeah. just would have been way too much for this film. Robin, wait, Robin Williams as Venkman? Yeah. No. It was considered. No. You know, I don't know how far they went to yeah. any of these people, but okay. that's the list. And for possible Spenglers, uh, Christopher Lloyd, that kind of tracks. That would have worked. The next year, he was th- that type of guy. 100% would have worked. Yeah. Walken? <laughs> I mean. No. No. What? I collect, a different. I no. collect spores, molds, and fungus. <laughs> that's as crazy Nasty. as Walken being Han Solo. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Goldblum? Yeah. 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 Uh, and then John Lithgow. That's interesting. He was even in the mix, but uh, it could have been fun. He, was, he instead played he the, the preacher in Footloose that same year. So, but he, he it's was, interesting he was because great in that. I, I don't. So yeah, I, I, I can see that. To tell you the truth, I think John Lithgow would have been good in that role because he's so he's he he's not quite a Michael Keaton, but in he he is able to jump back between comedy and drama so well. I think he could have been a good Egon. Other Zetamores included Gregory Hines and Reginald Vell Johnson, who of course played the uh, the jail the police officer in like two quick oh, roles. Yes, he was yeah. offered that because they didn't go with him. The Reitman said, "You want to do this?" He's like, "Sure." And then I watched course, it and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. And then four years later, he comes <laughs> yep. on Die Hard. On family, die matters, matters, family matters. Family yep. matters. And yeah. family matters. Uh, other possible Dana Barretts include Daryl Hannah. Te- no, that would have been terrible. Yeah. It would. I just. <laughs> I just recently splash. saw the trailer for High Spirits. Don't know if you remember that. I do. Okay, but Steve Gutenberg and Daryl Hannah and I just went, wow, this was at her height, and this is just a trailer. Mm. Um, I I don't think that would have been the role for her. Yeah, she's phenomenal in Splash. She's yep. phenomenal. In, Agreed. She's good enough in Roxanne, <laughs> <laughs> and she's great in Kill Bill Part Two. Yes. But, uh, Denise Crosby, Julia Roberts. She would have been. This is six years before Pretty Woman. She would have been very young. But I think think she would have been interesting. Would she have been older than a college girl? I I was just going to say, which goes back to your thing. But I think the uh, bullseye here is Kelly LeBrock. Yes, I totally agree. Yes, she would have been great. Yeah, completely. She would have been fantastic. Wait a minute, but and then she would have had two movies that year. Yeah, yeah. Weird Science was the next year. Oh, The Woman in Red. Woman in Red. Kelly LeBrock would have been fantastic for that role. So who gets it? Sigourney Weaver, but she had to prove her comedy chops first. She actually wrote in the audition, walked around on all fours like a dog and would seem possessed. And Reitman's like, you win. That, I, he was like <laughs> totally charmed by her because she had done the year of living dangerously and these other dramas. Right. Alien. Alien. You know, she wasn't like a comedy person. But You know, uh, it, it's interesting because I feel like I have never, I don't think I've ever hear everything just on the outside chance that she's listening to this <laughs> i have never really seen a picture of sigourney weaver and thought that's a really pretty woman 
You know, now, once again, my introduction to her was aliens and always this super tough athletic. I've never seen her, quote unquote, dolled up or whatever, you know. Um, and then this movie, I, I still don't necessarily look at her and think, wow, she's really pretty. But I do look at her and go, she is so incredibly charming. She is so she's magnetic. And instantly you're attracted to her. I think she's super sexy when she gets, you know, yeah. that 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 whole once she's possessed and the whole. I mean, she she. Oh yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think all of that. But I agree. I mean, we did, you know, we had watched her in, in Alien, and yes. Aliens had not been out. No, yet, two right? Years later, so, yeah. so, but we had seen Alien. You right. know, you'd seen. I'd only so, seen her as someone, yeah. who didn't exude any sex appeal, but yeah. just exuded, I'm kicking ass. Yeah. Other possible Janines, Sandra Bernhard turned it down. In fact. Uh, Annie Potts was such a quick hire. They brought her in, and she went right into a real popular scene. Grabbed some. This is internet story, but hopefully it's true. Grabbed somebody's glasses and put them on. And they became like a signature part of her character. Oh, how wonderful! Uh, in, in a real quick sort of move to get her. I mean, you, you remember the greenlit with thirteen yeah, right, months yeah, to put it all yeah, together, yeah. something like that. I can see Sandra so, Bernhardt being in that role and being quite funny. Yeah. By the way, uh, thirteen months and, and and thinking about making a movie like how great would it be to be like, okay, you've got this project. This is what you're going to be working on for the right. next 13 uh, And here's $30 million. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, yeah. I mean, but the, I mean, how great, right? I mean, yeah. I, I know a lot of that was, you know, special effects time and da, 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 you know, whatever, but like, that's just incredible. No, but they're editing while they're shooting. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. clearly bringing in Janine, you know, yeah. right when they're about to shoot her part. Yeah. So it's all this sort of playing right on the edge of everything. Uh, and... Paul Rubens was your original gozer. Turned it down. Whoa. And they ended up going with... Uh, I mean, I can see... The, I can. I mean, they look alike. Yeah, they ended up going with an actress. I can't remember her name. That is so down. interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, Grace Jones meets Bowie. That's, the, that's yeah. the concept of gozer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I think tracks in how she eventually looked. Two other fun facts. This was Larry King's film debut. <laughs> and uh, Ivan Reitman did the voice of Zool. Obviously, highly... Right. Modulated, but yes. uh, yeah, for there is no Dana. Yeah, that's all him. Holy moly! Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear a conversation between that and your editor guy. Go. Well, sometimes you know. I don't know. It just became SpongeBob. Right. I can't even. My, yeah. my editor is George Lucas. Uh, you know, well, we originally had these little ships. You know. <laughs> Tell me what a zoom aerial sixty-five millimeter optical <laughs> printer is. Make it faster and more intense. <laughs> <laughs> to do. Jokes for us. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I t mentioned there was ad-libbing all over the place. Here's a fun fact. This chick is toast was apparently the first time that was a slang term, that you That's called crazy. someone toast. I think the original line was, I'm going to turn this guy into toast. Yeah. And he said, this chick is toast. And that became like, now you're toast. Yeah. Mean, yeah. Meaning you're done. That's like yeah. where that originated. So That's another wild. groundbreaking little bit. Yeah. It's funny, the, the little isms that we had as kids, because my kids now have isms that they say. And, you know, words, I know. words that I'm like, oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Sus. You don't know. Sus. Riz is the Riz. current yeah. one. Yeah. Which I'm like, wow. You know. Yeah. You say that in... Bullies don't beat your ass. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of parent I would be. <laughs> I, those are well, different bullies than when I was a kid. Riz is like a cool word. It mean, you know, means you got you got swag, you got game. What does it come from? Cuz wow. sus I understand. I would hear suspicious, that. Suspicious, yeah. but Riz is it. I don't yeah, I don't know what Riz. I don't know what that comes from. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh so some quick thoughts on the aftermath then. Uh the early advertising only had the No Ghosts logo. And a 1-800 number to call with a message from Ackroyd and Murray, which received 1,000 calls a day for six weeks. Oh, my really? God. That's Those awesome. The days. What did that, that message is say? awesome. Uh, there's a brief thing about the movie, and we're out uh, fighting go like, a, like you were getting a message yeah. at the fire hall. Okay. An outgoing message from Ackroyd and Murray themselves. So, But this was a big deal when we did the Star Wars countdown show that – that's how they advertised The Empire Strikes Back. You'd call this 1-800 number, and, uh, and Harrison Ford would begrudgingly have to do a voiceover. He goes, I was running away from Jabba the Hutt, and I ended up on Hoth. And I, Fett's still chasing. I've got to look that up. I didn't know that existed. <laughs> oh, look those up. They're the best. Yeah. Oh uh, Anthony gosh. Daniels proudly does one. Oh, the Empire is coming to get us. Yeah. But Harrison apparently, like, this clearly had to be one take. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. Guys, we're done here, right? So that was a big deal. Ghostbusters picked Just up put the ball. Just put walking there. in. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostbusters picked up the ball there and uh, ran with it. The 1-800 number was a big hit. 
Uh, some fun stories. Well, not fun for William Atherton, but Sigourney Weaver recalled that she once had a fire put out in her apartment, and after the fireman came to put out, one of them opened her fridge and said, Whoa! Better call the Ghostbusters. <laughs> so, a fun little crossing over for that. But unfortunately, William Atherton was called dickless on the street a lot. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Hasn't, hasn't moved him away from the franchise. He was at the Fan Fest, and he's, you know, loves it. But, not to uh, mention that, yeah, I mean, that, that definitely, that's a career maker. Yeah. yeah. It, oh, I mean, absolutely. Sucks that that's what you're known for, but, you know. <laughs> oh, but, like, we were talking about how he's one of the great 80s yes. legends oh, yeah. Yeah. in dictum. Yeah. yeah. Like, he did this, and then he followed it up with Real Genius, where he, yeah. you yep. know, he was a jerk, and yeah. then Die, Die Hard, where he was yeah. a jerk. And he always played it honestly. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I believe this guy believes you, you know, that he is mo- he is justified in his uh, uh, opinion. I was 100% paying attention to his acting in his first scene where he enters. And if you go back and watch that scene, he is the star of his story. You can. <laughs> I one, totally agree. One totally agree. Like you just watch him, and, and he the says, "Start of the movie, <laughs> right? It's a, yeah, it's exactly. his start of the movie. It yeah. is. It is. It's just little things. Like even when he says, what, can I see the storage facility? No. Why can't I? Because you didn't say please, and just the little smirk yeah. that he gets yeah. as he turns toward him, and it's just like, oh my god, this guy is the star of his own <laughs> yeah. film in his mind. Like it is. It's just such a brilliant, brilliant acting choice. But that goes back to. The, the honesty of him. Yeah. He, that character believes he is the star yeah, of right. everything. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. To, to the point where National Review ranked it number 10 of the 25 best conservative movies of the last 25 years. This came out in 09. Uh, noting the regulation-happy EPA was the villain <laughs> and the private sector <laughs> saved the day. Partially Hilarious. due to his great performance. Right. So yeah. 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 Uh, let's see. I mentioned that uh, Columbia thought they were going to lose their shirts. Michael Ovitz, even Candid, saying, we all make mistakes. Uh, got that one wrong, Mike. Because 95% otherwise are Rotten Tomatoes. Twenty-eight per, uh, Number 28 in AFI's 100 Years, 100 Laughs. And uh, Entertainment Weekly called it the number one comedy, period. So, that, I mean, the, wow. the, the legend of Straight this movie, up. the, yeah. the Straight phenomenon up. it became, the legacy, it's just all positive. I go back to what I said earlier. Watching it again, I, I was just struck by how great it is. Oh, yeah. I, I, it, Absolutely. It's right up there with Raiders of the Lost Ark. It, 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 there was something about the movies we grew up with that took us on a journey. And I, and I, and I don't know if it's me personally being nostalgic or if, if I really am still enjoying it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the magic sauce is. But I watch these movies still now, and I, and I feel like I am transported. Right, and I and I get immersed in the story. I get immersed in what's happening with these characters, and and it's just the perfect mixture of everything. I'll t- I'll say that saying something. If you can be transported back to just being an audience member, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in the industry, when you know how the sausage is made, so yeah. to speak, to then sit down and just say. I'm just an audience member. I'm just appreciating this. I'm loving the story. I'm 100% drawn in. That That is magic. Yeah. That is magic. I agree. And you say what you want about Venkman's issues with college girls or whatever. There is something about the guy who doesn't try at all and wins everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give out minimal effort here right. and win everything. Well, yeah. there's, there, it's you Dan can clearly see it in a great line. Yeah. You didn't study. You never studied. You yeah, never, never studied. Yeah. Um, but the... And you can see it in future characters like Vince Vaughn and Dodgeball. Same, yeah. you know, the sort of sl- you know, slob who wins. You right. Know? I just love that. And I think that's a great legacy for the film to have as well. <laughs> and there should be more of that despite the Me Too of it all. Uh, all right. Well, that I think that covers everything, guys, um, about Ghostbusters. We'll be back to talk about uh, more movies later. But let's go around for the plugs. I'm Paul Preston from themovieguys.net. Go there, as I mentioned. Watch interviews with William Bryan. Watch interview with oh, Robin Shelby as well from Ghostbusters 2. And uh, uh, Ray Parker Jr., of course, uh, was in the Admirals Club. So that's where I suggest you see everything the movie guys are up to, themovieguys.net. Sean? Sean Blodgett, Creative Motion Entertainment. You know it. Come visit the website. Uh, give us a call, email, that kind of stuff. Justin Bowler of The World. And uh, Justin makes me feel good. Okay, so he's a soprano. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's our wrap on Ghostbusters. In the next episode, we'll cover Ghostbusters 2. Again? No, not Ghostbusters again, the sequel. 
I never saw the first one. They made a sequel to Ghostbusters. Okay, again? goodbye. <laughs> oh, that was. <laughs>